brain rules introduction go ahead and multiply the number 8,338,628 into 2 in your head can you do it in few seconds there's a young man who can double that number 24 times in the space of a few seconds he gets it right every time there's a boy who can tell you the precise time of a day at any moment even in his sleep there's a girl who can correctly determine the exact dimensions of an object 20 feet away there is a child who at age 6 drew such lifelike and powerful pictures she got her own show at gallery of Madison Avenue. Yet none of these children could be thought to their shoes. Indeed, none of them have IQ greater than 50. Your brain may not be nearly so odd, but it's no less extraordinary. Easily that most sophisticated information transfer system on Earth. Your brain is fully capable of taking the little black squiggles on the piece of bleached wood and deriving meaning from them. To accomplish this miracle, your brain sends jolt of electricity cracking through hundreds of miles wires composed of brain cells, so small that thousands of them could fit into the period at the end of the sentence. You accomplish all this less time it takes you to blink. Indeed, you have just done it. What's equally incredible given our intimate association with it in this. Most of us have no idea how our brain works. There's a strange consequence. We try to talk on our cell phones and drive at the same time. Even though it is literally impossible for our brains to multitask when it comes to paying attention. We have created high stress office environments even though the stress brain is significantly less productive. Our schools are designed so that most of real learning has to occur at home. This would be funny if it weren't so harmful. Blame it on the fact that brain scientists rarely have conversations with teachers and business professionals, education major accountants, superintendents and CEOs. Unless you have the journals of neuroscience sitting on your office comfortable you are out of the loop this book is made to get you into the loop 12 brain rules my goal is to introduce to 12 things we know about how the brain works i call this brain rules for each tool i present the science that even offer ideas of for investigating how the rule might apply to our daily lives especially at work at school the brain is complex and i am taking only silvers of information from each subject not comprehensive but i hope accessible the brain rules firm Available at www.brainrose.net DVD is an integral part of the project. You might use DVD as an introduction and then jump between a chapter in the book and the illustrations online. A sampling of the ideas you will encounter. For starters, we are not used to sitting at desk for 8 hours a day. From extra evolutionary perspective, our brains develop while working out. While walking as many as 12 miles a day, the brain still craves that experience, especially a sedentary population like overall that's why exercise boosts brain power in such population exercise outperform couch potatoes in long-term memory reasoning attention and problem-solving tasks I'm convinced that the integrating exercise into eight hours at work or school would only be normal as you no doubt have noticed that if you ever sat through a typical PowerPoint presentations people don't pay attention to boring things you have got seconds to grab someone's attention and only two minutes to keep it. At 9 minutes 59 seconds, something must be done to regain attention and restart the clock. Something emotional and relevant. Also, the brain needs a break. That's why I use these stories in this book to make many of my points. We can make a comeback. All of the evidence. We can make a comeback. We can make a comeback. All of the evidence. We can make a athletic comeback. All we have to do is to move. When people think of great comebacks, athletes such as Lance Armstrong or Paul Herman 
usually come to mind one of the greatest comebacks of all time however occurred before both of these athletes were born it happened in 1949 to the legendary golfer ben hogan Strictly to the point of being obnoxious, he once equipped as a competitor. If he could have just screwed another head on his shoulders, he would have been the greatest golfer who ever lived. Hogan's gruff demeanor underscored a fierce determination. He won the PGA Championship in 1946 and 1948, the year in which he also named PGA Player of the Year. That's also ended abruptly. On a foggy night in the Texas winter in 1949, Hogan and his wife were hit ahead on by a bus. Hogan fractured every bone that could matter to a golfer collar bone pelvis ankle rib he was left with the life of threatening blood clots the doctors said that he might never walk again Hogan ignored the prognostications a year after the accident he climbed back onto the green and won the US Open 3 years later he played one of the most successful single seasons in professional golf he won 5 of the 6 tournaments he entered including the first 3 major championships of the year a feat not known as hogan slam reflecting on one of the greatest comebacks in sports history he said in typically spicy manner people have always been telling me what i can't do he retired in 1971 and i reflect on the effects of exercise on the cognition and the things we might try to recapture its benefits i am reminded of such comebacks civilization while giving us such seemingly forward advances as modern medicines and spatulas also had a nasty side effect it gave us more opportunities to sit in our butts whether learning or working we gradually quit exercising the way our ancestors did the result is like a traffic wreck record that our evolutionary ancestors were used to walking up to 12 miles per day this means that our brains were supposed for most of a evolutionary history of olympic caliber bodies we are not used to sitting in a classroom for 8 hours a week we were not used in sitting up cubicle for 8 hours at a stretch if we sat around serenity for 8 hours heck for 8 minutes we are usually somebody's lunch we haven't had millions of years adapted to our sedentary lifestyles that means we need a comeback removing ourselves from such an inactivity is the first step i am convinced and integrating exercise to those eight hours at work school will not make us smarter it only make us normal ideas there is no question if we are in epidemic of fatness a point i will not belabor here the benefits of exercise seemingly nearly endless because the impact is system side affecting the most safe physiological system exercising makes our your muscles and bones stronger for example improves your strength and balance it helps regulate your appetite change your blood lipid profile reduce your risk for more than dozen types of cancer improves the immune system and buffers against the toxic effects of stress by enriching your cardiovascular system exercise decreases your risk for heart disease stroke and diabetes when combined with the intellectual benefits exercise appear to offer we have in our hands as close to magic let of improving human health as exist in modern medicine there is must be a way to harness the effects of exercising in practical worlds of education and business research twice a day because of the increased reliance on the test scores for school survival many districts across the nation are getting rid of physical education and research given powerful cognitive effects of physical activity this makes no sense yancy the model turned physician scientist basketball player describes a real world test they took time away from the academic subjects of physical education and found that across the board 
did not hurt the kids' performance and academic tests. When trained teachers provided the physical education, the children actually did better on language, reading, and basic battery of tests. Cutting off physical exercise, the very activity most likely to promote cognitive performance. To do better on a test score is like to trying to gain weight by starving yourself. What if school districts inserted exercise into the normal curriculum on a regular basis? Even twice a day, after all the children had been medically evaluated, they spent 20 to 30 minutes each morning on formal aerobic exercise in the afternoon, 20 to 30 minutes on strengthening exercise. Most population study see a benefit. If this is done only two or three times a week, it worked. There will be many ramifications. It might even reintroduce the notion of school uniforms or what would the new apparel consist of simply gym clothes worn all day long, treadmills in classrooms and cubicles. Remember the experiment showing that when children aerobically exercise, the brains work better and when the exercise has withdrawn, the cognitive gains soon plummeted. These results suggested to the researchers that the level of fitness was not as important as steady increase in the oxygen supply to the brain. So did they another experiment. They found that supplemental oxygen administered to a young healthy adults without exercise gave a similar cognitive improvement. This suggests an interesting idea to try into a classroom. Don't worry, it doesn't involve oxygen doping to get a great boost. What if during a lesson the children were not sitting at a desk but walking on treadmills? Students might listen to a math lecturer while walking 1-2 miles per hour or study English on treadmills fashioned to accommodate a desktop. Treadmill in the classroom might harness the valuable advantages of increasing the oxygen supply naturally at the same time harvest all other advantages of regular exercise. Would such a thing deployed over a school a year change academic performance until the brain scientists and education scientists get together to show real-world benefit? The answer is nobody knows. The same idea could apply at work which companies installing treadmills and encouraging morning and afternoon breaks for exercise. Board meetings might be conducted while people walk 2 miles per hour. Would that improve problem solving? Would that alter retention rates and change creativity in the same way it does in the laboratory? The idea of integrating exercise into the workday may sound foreign but it's not difficult. I put a treadmill in my office and I now take regular breaks filled with coffee but with exercise. I haven't constructed a small structure upon which my laptop fits so I can write an email while I exercise. At first it was difficult to adapt to such a strange hybrid activity. It took a hoping 15 minutes to become fully functional typical on my laptop while walking 1.8 miles per hour. I'm not the only one thinking along these lines. Boeing, for example, is starting to take exercise seriously in its leadership training program. Problem-solving teams used to work at late into the nights. Now all the work has to be completed during the day. So there may be just time for exercise and sleep. Most teams are hitting all their, their performance targets. Boeing vice president leaderships has put a treadmill in office as well. Company leaders are now thinking about how to integrate exercise into working hours. There are two compelling business reasons for such radical ideas. Business leaders already know that if employees exercise regularly, it will reduce health care cost. Also, there is no question that cutting in a half someone's lifetime risk of deliberating stroke or Alzheimer's disease is a wonderful humanitarian thing to do, but exercise also could boost the collective brain power of course. Of an organization. Fit employees are capable of mobilizing their god given IQs better than sedentary employees for companies whose competitiveness rests on creative intellectual horsepower. Such mobilization could mean a strategic advantage in the laboratory. Regular exercise improves sometimes dramatically, so, problem solving abilities 
fluid intelligence even memory old two waiting business settings what types of exercise need to be done how often that's worth of investigating rule 2 the human brain evolved to rule 2 the human brain evolved to he was four my son noha picked up a stick in our backyard and showed it to me nice stick you have there young fellow i said he replied earnestly that's not a stick that's a sword stick him up and i raised my hands to the air we both laughed the reason i remember this short exchange is that as i went back into the house i realized my son had just displayed virtually every unique thinking ability a human possesses one that took several million years to manufacture and he did so in less than 2 seconds heavy stuff for a 4 year old other animals have powerful cognitive abilities too and yet there is something qualitatively different about the way humans think about things the journey that brought us from the trees to savanna gave us some structure elements shared by no other creature and unique way of using the elements we do have in common how and why did our brains evolve this way recall the performance envelope the brain appears to be designed to solve problems related to surviving in an unstoppable outdoor environment to do so in nearly constant motion the brain adapted this way simply a survival strategy to help us live long and to pass our genes to the next generation that's right it's all come down to sex ecosystem a harsh crushing life as easily supporting scientists estimate 99.9% of all species that ever lived are extinct today our body's brains include a latch on to any genetic adaptation that helped us survive this is not only sets the stage for all the brain rules it explains how we came to conquer the world a handy trait symbolic reasoning turn out to be versatile gadget our evolutionary ancestors didn't have to keep failing into the same quicksand pit if they could tell others about it even better if they learned to put up warning signs with words and languages we could extract a great deal of knowledge about our living situation without always having to experience to harsh lessons directly so it makes sense that once our brain develops symbolically reasoning we kept it the brain is a biological tissue it follows the rules of biology and there is no bigger role in biology than evolution through natural selection whoever gets the food survives whoever survives gets to have sex whoever has sex to pass is traced on the next generation but what stages did we go through to reach the point how can we trace the rise of our plump three pound intellectuals there are two problems with the drawing first almost everything about it is wrong second nobody really know how to fix the errors one of the biggest reasons for lack of knowledge is so little hard evidence exists most of the fossilized bones that have been collected from our ancestors could filter into your garage with, uh, with enough room left over for your strong bicycle and lawn mower dna evidence has been helpful and there's a strong evidence that we came from africa rule 3 every brain is wired differently michael jordan's athletic failures are puzzling don't you think in 1994 one of the best basketball players in the world ESPN's great athlete of 20th January decided to quit the game and take up the bas- baseball instead. Jordan failed miserably hitting 
2022 in his only full season, the lowest of any regular player in the league that year. He simultaneously committed 11 errors in the outfield, also the league's worst. Jordan's performance was poor, he couldn't even qualify for a triple-A farm team, though it seems prosperous that anyone with physical ability would fail at any athletic activity. He put his mind to the fact that Jordan did not even make his minor leagues is palpable proof that you can. His failure was that much more embarrassing because another athletic legend, Ken Griffey Jr. was burning up the baseball diamond that same year. Griffey was excelling at all the skills Jordan seemed to pack and doing so in majors thank you. Griffey, then playing for the red-hot Seattle Mariners, maintained his excellence for most of the decade, batting 3 for 300 for 7 years in 1990s and at the same time slugging out 422 runs home runs. He is at the printing 6th and all the time home run list. Like Jordan, Griffey Jr. played in the outfield but unlike Jordan, he was known for the catcher so spectacular he seemed to float in the air. Floating the air wasn't that the space Jordan was accustomed to inhabiting but the scared sacred atmosphere of the baseball park refused to budge for Jordan and he eventually went back to what his brains and muscles did better than anyone else, creating a legendary sequel to a previously stunning basketball career. What was going on to the bodies of these two athletes? What is about their brains' ability to communicate with their muscle and skeletons that made their talents is so specialized? It has to do with how their brains were wired. To understand that what that means, we watch we will watch what happens in the brain as it learning, discussing enormous role in brain development, including how identical twins having an identical experience will not emerge with identical brains and discover that we each have a Jennifer Aniston neuron. I'm not kidding. Fried eggs and blueberries. You have heard since grade school that living things are made of cells and for the most part that's true. This isn't a complex biological creatures can do and doesn't involve cells. You may have little gratitude for this generous contribution to your existence but your cells make up for the indifference by ensuring that you can't control them. For the most part they purr and hum behind the scenes content to supervise virtually everything you will ever experience much of which lies outside your awareness. Some cells are unassuming. They have to find the normal function only after they can't function. The surface of your skin, for example, all nine pounds of it literally is decreased. This allows the rest of your cells to support your daily life free of wind, rain and spiled nacho cheese at basketball game. It is accurate to say that nearly every inch of your outer physical representation to the world is dead. The biological structures of the cell that are alive are fairly easy to understand. Most look just like fried eggs. The white of the egg we call the cytoplasm. The center yolk is the nucleus. The nucleus contains a master blueprint, a molecule and newly christened pattern, pattern set of wrongfully convicted criminals DNA. DNA process genes, small snippets of biological instructions that guide everything from how tall you become to how you respond to stress. A lot of genetic material fits inside the yolk like nucleus. Nearly six feet of the stuff are crammed into space that is measured of the microns. A micron is one by twenty-five thousandth of an inch which means and putting DNA into your nucleus is like taking 30 miles of fishing line and stuffing it to blueberry. The nucleus is a crowded place. One of the most unexpected findings of the recent years is that the DNA or deoxybryonucleic acid is not randomly jammed into the nucleus as one might stuff cotton into the teddy bear. Rather, DNA is 
folded into the nucleus in a complex and tightly regulated manner. The reason for this molecular origami cellular carrier options fold the DNA one way and the cell will become a contributing member of your liver. Fold it another way and the cell will become part of your busy bloodstream. Fold it third way and you will get a nerve cell and the ability to read this sentence. Rule 5. Short term memory. Repeat to remember. It is the ultimate intellectual flattery to bond with a mind to so amazing that brain scientists voluntarily devote their careers to studying it. This impressive feat occurred with the owners of two such minds in the past century and their remarkable brains provides much insight into human memory. The first mind belongs to Kim Peek. He was born in 1951 and not one hint of his future intellectual greatness. He has an enlarged head, no, no corpus callosum and a damaged cerebellum. He could not walk until age 4 and he can get catastrophically upset when he doesn't understand something, which is often. Diagnosing him in childhood as a mentally disabled, his doctors wanted to place him in a mental institution. That didn't happen mostly because of the nurturing efforts of Peek's father, who recognized that his son also had some very special intellectual gifts. One of those gifts in memory, Peek has one of the most prodigious ever recorded. He can read two pages at the same time, one with each eye, comprehending and remembering perfectly everything contained in the pages forever. Though publicly shy, Peek's dad once granted writer Barry Morrow an interview with his son. It was conducted in a library where Peek demonstrated tomorrow a familiarity with literally every book in the building. He then started quoting ridiculous and highly accurate amount of sports trivia. After a long discussion about the histories of certain United States was revolutionary to Vietnam, Moro felt he had enough. He decided right then and there to write a screenplay about this man, which he did, the Oscar-winning film Rain Man. What's going on in uneven brain of Kim Peek? Does his mind belong to a cognitive freak show? Or it is the only an extreme example of normal human learning? Something very important is occurring in the first very few moments is brain exposed to information. And it's not so very different from what happens to the rest of us in the initial moments of learning. The first few moments of learning give us the ability to remember something. The brain has different types of memory systems, many operating in semi-autonomous fashion. We know so little about how they coordinate with each other that this state memory is not considered as a unitary phenomenon. We know the most about declarative memory which involves something you can declare such as the sky is blue. This type of memory involves four steps encoding, storage, retrieval and forgetting. This chapter is about the first step. In fact, it is about the first few seconds of the first step. They are crucial in determining whether something that is initially perceived will also be remembered. Along the way, we will talk about our second famous mind. This brain belonging to a man the research community called HM was a legendary not for its extraordinary capabilities but for its extraordinary inabilities. We will also talk about the difference between bicycles and social security numbers, memory and mumbo jumbo. Memory has been subject of poets and philosophers for centuries. At one level memory is like an invading army allowing past experience to intrude continuously onto the present life. That's fortunate, our brains do not come fully assembled at birth, which means that most of us what we know about the world has to be either experienced by us first hand or thought to us second hand. Our robust memory can provide great survival advantages. It is in large part why we have succeeded in overpopulating the planet. For a creature as physically weak as humans, compare your fingernails with the claw of even simple cat, weep with envy. 
and not allowing experience to shape our brains would also have meant almost certain death in rough and tumble world of open savanna but memory is more than a darwinian chess piece most researchers agree that its broad influence on our brains is what truly make us consciously aware the names and faces of our loved ones our own personal taste and especially of our awareness of those names and faces and tastes are maintained through memory we don't go to sleep and then upon awakening have to spend week relearning the entire world memory does this for us even the single most distinctive talent of human cognition the ability to write and speak in language exists because of active remembering memory it seems make us not only durable but also human let's look at how it works when researchers want to measure memory they usually end up measuring retrieval that's because in order to find out if somebody has committed something to memory you have to ask if he or she can call it so how do people recall things does have the storage space carrying the record some experience to sit there twiddling in its thumbs in our brains waiting for some command to trot out its contents can we investigate storage separately from retrieval Herman Epighaus was born in 1850 as a young man he looked like a cross between Santa Claus and John Lennon with his bushy brown beard and round glasses he is most famous for uncovering most of the depressing facts in all education people usually forget 90% of what they learn in a class within 30 days he further showed that the majority of the forgetting occurs with the first few hours after class this has been robustly confirmed in modern times Ebin Haus designed a series of experimental protocols with which a toddler might feel at ease he made up the list of nonsense words of 2300 of them each word consists of three letters and a consonant vowel consonant construction as tas left ren sak he then spent the rest of his life trying to memorize list of these words in varying combinations and varying lengths with the tenacity of prussian infantryman for a short time he was ebbing Hoss recorded for over 30 years his success and failures he uncovered many important things about human learning during his journey he showed that memories have different life spans some memories hang around for only few minutes then vanish others persist for days months even for lifetime he also showed that one could increase the life span of a memory simply by repeating the information in timed intervals the more repetition cycles given memory experience the more likely it was persist in his mind we know We now know that the space between a repetition is the critical component for transforming temporary memories into a more persistent memory forms. Spaced learning is greatly superior to mass learn. Ebin Hall's work was foundational. It was also incomplete. It did not, for example, separate the notion of memory from retrieval. The difference between learning something and recalling it later. Go ahead and try to remember your social security number. Easy enough. Retrieval commands might include like visualizing the last time you saw the card or remembering the last time you wrote down the number. Now try to remember how to ride a bike. Easy enough, hardly. You do not call up the protocol list detailing in where you put your foot, how to create correct angle for your back, where your thumbs are supposed to be. The contrast proves an interesting point. One does not recall how to ride a bike in the same way one recalls nine numbers in a certain order. The ability to ride a bike seems quite independent from any conscious recollection of the skill. You are consciously aware when you were remembering your social security number but not when riding a bike. Do you need to have conscious awareness in order to experience a memory or is there more than one type of memory? The answer seemed clearer as more data came in. The answer to the first question was no. Which answer? The awareness distinction gradually morphed.
into the ideas that they have as memories you cannot declare declarative memories are those that can be experienced in our conscious awareness such as that shirt is green jupiter is a planet or even list of words non declarative memories are those that cannot be experienced in our conscious awareness such as the motor skills necessary to ride a bike this does not explain everything about human memory it does not explain everything about declarative memory but the rigor ebbinghaus gave future scientists their first seen real shot at mapping behavior onto living brain the 9 year old boy was knocked off his bicycle forever changing the way brain scientists thought about memory where memories go in his accident hm suffered a severe head injury that left him with epileptic seizures the seizures got worse with age eventually culminating in one major seizure and 10 blackout periods every 7 days by his late 20s hm was essentially dysfunctional of potential great harm to himself in need of drastic medical in- intervention the desperate family turned to famed neurosurgeon william scovelli who decided that the problem lay within the brain's temporal lobe scovelli exercised an inner surface of this lobe on both sides of the brain the experimental surgery gray helped the epilepsy it is also left hm with catastrophic memory loss since the day the surgery was completed in 1953 hm has been unable to convert a new short term memory into a long term memory he can meet you once and then an hour or two or later meet you again with absolutely no recall of the first visit even more dramatically hm can no longer recognize his own face in the mirror why as his face ages some of the physical features change but unlike the rest of us hm cannot take this new information and convert it into a long term form this leaves him more or less permanently locked into a single idea about his appearance when he looks in the mirror and does this not see this single idea he cannot identify to whom the image actually belongs slice and diced research shows that life cycle declarative memory can be divided into four sequential steps encoding storing retrieving and forgetting encoding describes what happens at the initial moment of learning and fleeting golden instant when the brain first encounters a new piece of declarative information it also involves a hoping fallacy once one in which your brain is an active course inspirator Here is an example of subversion coming once again from the clinical observations of neurologist Oliver Sacks. The case involves low-functioning autistic boy named Tom, who has become quite famous for being able to do music to little cells. Tom never received formal instruction in music of any kind, but he learned to play the piano simply by listening to other people. Astonishingly, he could play a complex uh, piece of music with the skill and artistry com- accomplished professionals on his first try after hearing the music exactly once. In fact, he has been observed playing the song Fisher's Horn Pipe with his left hand while simultaneously playing Yankee Doodle Dandy with his right hand while simultaneously singing Dixie. He also can play the piano backwards that is with his back to the keyboard and his hands inverted not bad for a boy who cannot even tie his own shoes when we hear about people like this we are usually jealous tom absorbs music as if he could switch to the on position some neural recording a device in his head we think we also have this video recorder only our model is not nearly as good this is a common impression most people believe that the brain is not like a recording device but learning is something akin to pushing the record wrong in the real world of the brain tom or yours nothing could be further from the truth the format of learning or encoding is so mysterious and complex that we have no metaphor to describe what happens to our brain in those first fleeting seconds that little we did know about the suggests it's like a blender left running with the lead off 
The information is literally sliced into discrete pieces as it enters the brain or splatter all other insides of our mind. Stated formally, signals from different sensory resources are registered in separate brain areas. The information is fragmented and redistributed. The instant information is encountered. If you look at a complex picture, for example, your brain immediately extracts the diagonal lines from the vertical lines and stores them in a separate area. Same with color. If a picture is moving, the fact of this motion will be extracted and stored in a place separate than if the picture was static. The separation is so violent and so persuasive as it even shows up when we perceive exclusively human-made information such as parts of language. One woman suffered a stroke in specific region of her brain and lost the ability to use written verbals. You could ask her to write down a simple sentence, your dog chased the cat and it would look like there would be a place of every letter but the verbals thought were left blank. So we know that verbals and consonants are not stored in this place. Summary of Rule 5 Repeat to remember the fun. The brain has many types of memory systems. One type follows four stages of processing, encoding, storing, retrieving and forgetting. Second, information coming into your brain is immediately split into fragments that are sent to different regions of the cortex for storage. Third, most of us events that predict whether something learned also will be remembered occur in the first few seconds of learning. The more elaborately we encode our memory during its initial moments, the stronger it will be. 4. You can improve your chances of remembering something if you reproduce the environment in which you first put it in your brain. Rule 6. Remember to repeat. First, most memories disappear within minutes, but those that survive the fragile period strength, strengthen with time. Second, long-term memories are formed into two-way conversation between the hippocampus and the cortex until the hippocampus breaks the connection and the memory is fixed in the cortex, which can take years. Third, our brains gives us only an approximate view of reality because they mix new knowledge with past memories and store them together as one. Fourth, the way to make long memory more reliable is to incorporate new information gradually the repeat in time intervals. Short Stories Days and Weeks We know from a Robert Wagner that multiple restatements provide demonstrable benefit over a period of days even even weeks. In future school, every third or fourth day would reverse for reviewing the facts delivered in the previous 72-96 hours. During this review holidays, previous information would be presented in compressed fashion. Students would have chance to inspect the notes they took during the initial exposure, comparing them with what the teacher was saying in the review. This would result in a greater elaboration of the information and it would help the teachers deliver accurate information. A formalized exercise in error checking soon would become a regular and positive part of both teachers and student learning experience. It is quite possible that such models would eradicate the need for homework at its best homework served only to force the student to repeat content. If that repetition was supplied during the course of the day, there might be the little need for further re-exposure. This isn't because homework isn't important as a concept. In future school, it may simply be unnecessary. Could models like this actually work? Deliberately spaced repetitions have not been tested rigorously in the real world. So there are lots of questions. Do you really need three separate repetitions per subject per day to accrue 
a positive outcome do all subjects need such repetition might such interleaved vigor hurt learning with constant repetitions beginning to interfere with one another as the day wore on do you really need review holidays and if so do you need them every 3 to 4 days we don't know years and years today students are expected to know certain things by certain grades curiously absent from this model is how durable that learning remains after the students complete grades given that system consolidation can take years might the idea of grade level expectations need amending perhaps learning in the long review should be thought of the same way one thinks of immune booster shots with critical pieces of information being repeated on a yearly or semi yearly basis in my fantasy class this is a cl- exactly what happens repetitions begin with a consistent and rigorous review of multiplication tables fractions decimals first learned with third grade six month and yearly reviewed sessions on this basic facts occur through sixth grade as a mathematical competency increase in sophistication the review content is changed to reflect greater understanding but the cycles are still in space in my fantasy this consistent repetition disciplines stretch out over long periods of time create enormous benefits for every academic subject especially foreign languages you have probably heard that many corporations especially in technical fields are disappointed by the quality of american undergraduate they hire they have to spend money retraining many of the newest employees in certain basic skills that they often think should have been covered in college i wish i could tell you this all would work but instead all i can say is that memory is not fixed at the moment of learning and repetition provides the fixative Rule 7 Sleep well think well 1 The brain is an constant state of tension between cells and chemicals that try to put you to sleep and cells and chemicals that try to keep you awake 2 The neurons of your brain show vigorous rhythmical activity when you are asleep perhaps replaying what you learned that day 3 People vary in how much sleep they need when they prefer to get it but the biological drive for an afternoon nap is universal 4 loss of sleep hurts attention executive function working memory mood quantitative skills logical reasoning and even motor dexterity rule 8 stressed brains don't learn the same way 1 your body defense system the release of adrenaline and cortisol is built on a immediate response to a serious but passing danger such as saber toothed tiger chronic stress such as hostility at home dangerous deregulates the system built only to deal with short term responses under chronic stress adrenaline creates scars in your blood vessels but that can cause a heart attack or stroke cortisol damages the cells of hippocampus crippling your ability to learn and remember third point Individually the worst kind of stress is the feeling that you have no control over the problem you are helpless final point emotional stress has huge impacts across society on children's ability to learn in school and on employees productivity at work rule 9 stimulate more of the senses at the same time we observe information about an event through our senses translate it into electrical signals disperse those signals to separate parts of the brain then reconstruct what happened eventually perceiving the event as a whole 
Second point, the brain seems to rely partially on past experiences in deciding how to combine these signals so two people can perceive the same event very differently. Third point, our senses evolve to work together, vision influencing hearing for example, which means that we learn best if we stimulate several senses at once. Fourth point, smell have an unusual power to bring back memories, maybe because smell signals bypass the thamel thalamus and head straight into their destination which include that supervisor of emotions known as amygdala rule 10 vision trumps all other senses one point vision is by far our most dominant sense taking up half of our brain's resources second point what we see is only what our brain tells us we see and it's not 100% accurate. Third point, the visual analysis we do as many steps. The retina assembles photons into little movie like streams of information. The visual cortex process these streams, some areas registering motion, others registering color, etc. Finally, we combine that information back together so we can see. Fourth point, we learn, remember best enough through pictures, not through written or spoken words.